0: Hello and welcome to Little Fictions on Air. I'm Ella Watson-Russell, your host. Each episode, Little Fictions on Air, brings you the best in short Australian fiction, read by actors in our studio or recorded at one of our live session venues. Today's episode is called Humans of Parramatta Road, and we're bringing you stories from the inner west Sydney suburbs connected by that busy arterial. Before I play you the first story, Just a warning that some of today's stories do contain some colourful language. We'll begin with a bus trip down Parramatta Road in Harriet McInerney's microfiction, Average Morning. It is performed by Little Fiction's regular, Joel
1: Horwood. There either was or wasn't space for us on the bus that morning. If there was space, it either was because the bus wasn't full or because the commuters in the aisle walked to the back and made space. I hadn't eaten breakfast and I was hungry. One man had a burger and acted like he didn't know that it's not okay to eat on a Monday morning bus. It smelled gross, but good. The bus shuffled forward shakily and then we were stuck, stopped across the road from Stanmore Macca's. If there was space made for us, either new space was found or new space was created. If new space was created, it was either taken from another part of the universe or it was added to the universe. If space was added to the universe, either it happened at random or it happened because we needed it. I noticed that I had five almonds in my jacket pocket. I tried one and it was okay. The burger smell was filling the bus and making me nauseous. I looked at my phone while the bus swayed, powering down Parramatta Road. There wasn't a part of the bus I could hold on to, and I balanced by keeping my legs slightly bent. If space was added because we needed it, either that happens every time someone needs space, or this was an exceptional occasion. If space was added to the universe every time someone needed it, We can either consider it due to the expanding universe or the expanding mind. Another person was flagging down the bus, my stomach still rumbling. We commuters shuffle backwards. The bus was rumbling too.
0: That was Joel Horwood, reading Harriet McInerney's Average Morning. The next piece, Parramatta Road by Tess Ridgway, takes us along this same stretch of road but this time at night, and by bicycle. We recorded actor Claire Omi's performance of this piece at Knox Street Bar, Chippendale.
2: You stomp the night, the cracked sidewalks breathe warmth, passing blocks of immobilised fronts, a corridor of slumped time capsules, Florid frontages of plastic flowers, deranged wedding photography, the ruins of the Olympia Milk Bar entombed in chocolate bar wrappers and rotting wood, four sale signs you lose count of and a Chinese medicine centre that promises don't tell us what is wrong with you, we already know. All empty vestiges for you to pin your woes to. Revved engines drown out thoughts and crash like waves at your heels. Tides of trucks, full-bellied buses, and bros in souped-up Subarus ready to get on the horn to let you know they'd probably fuck you and you should take it as a compliment. A Saturday morning you hung out the window of your dad's Tarago belting, now you're back to the velvet underground, cos Parramatta Road is only for gypsies and forward propulsion. No idling around. Though there's space for short stints of quiet reflection, Your face distilled blue, black, silver in shop windows. But you can't keep your outlines here. You only streak on ghosting past decaying displays. Only dust and downtrodden gum can stick, mingling with tumbling trash. 50 odd plastic pill suddies or bead bags, depending who you ask, flapping like little fish against their demise. You may have gotten to the road's core one Sunday night biking home stoned after staffies, Flying up the hill to Johnston Street, your shadow pulled below, looping down underneath your tyre, running yourself down. You are swung into balance and the air keeps you buoyant. Marvelling at yourself, refracted and multiplied under street lamp light, you decided to be a neuroscientist that night, though that never stuck somehow. You surge on into oblivion, getting snagged by red lights.
0: That was Claire Omi performing Parramatta Road by Tess Ridgeway. In the next short story, Sydney author Jillo O'Meara takes us behind one of the shop fronts along Parramatta Road in Trixie Depraved Does Like It is performed by Eleni Schumacher.
3: How much for a blowjob? Excuse me? I'd like a blowjob. What'll it cost? Are you looking for a hairdresser or a brothel? What do you reckon? This is Legal Aid Leichhardt. You've got the wrong number. Oh, shit. Sorry, lady. In the mid-90s, we received several calls a day from Johns looking for love in Leichhardt. Sometimes they'd sail in off the street from Parramatta Road like desperate ships mistaking an indentation in the cliffs for safe harbour. Right past the giant Legal Aid decal on the glass door... Admittedly, our logo did look like a giant green dick, sheltering lesser specimens. In frustration, Julie, our office manager, put up the words, we are not a brothel in the front window. A very effective ad. The punters didn't read the first three words. Our foot traffic increased exponentially. The Leichhardt office had once swarmed with duty lawyers who said fuck more often than their clients. Most, despite their middle-class backgrounds, suffered from a legal aid version of Munchausen's by proxy. Their feral demeanour exactly mirrored the behaviour of their disadvantaged clients, who genuinely struggled to cope with life's hard knocks. When nearby courts were subsumed within the city's Downing Centre, they were herded into head office like reluctant cowboys. This bitterly disappointed some who frequented a notorious pub on Parramatta Road where, to win a free drink, you'd saunter up to the bar, nude. To avoid a public outcry for withdrawing criminal lawyers from Leichhardt, legal aid sent in the communications team. This was despite the fact we didn't provide any legal advice, criminal or otherwise, to the locals. Somehow, during this tricky smoke-and-mirrors move, the phone number was changed... Unfortunately, it was exactly the same, bar one digit, as a well-known brothel. A much more popular and loved Leichhardt establishment. Frequent contact from creepy dudes who thought we were a brothel had a strange effect on our all-female crew. We had an office Chris Kringle, but we didn't swap crappy gifts which died after being unwrapped. We wrote down imaginary prostitute names and randomly gifted them to each other. Trixie Depraved was mine. I hated it. The name seemed closer to an Oxford Street drag queen with a penchant for Sylvester than a working girl. But the name seemed to stick like cold pizza to cardboard. Once I took what I thought was an internal call from Lolita Booty, Julie, I breathily answered in my best Trixie voice. To my horror, I recognised the punsy vows of a senior manager from head office, a born-again Christian with an unhealthy fascination for fire trucks. He thought he'd called the brothel and tried to arrange an erotic session with Trixie at Penrith's Museum of Fire in front of its prized 1939 Coventry Climax Pumper. Awkward. Our office was on a grimy block west of the sports bar, Many shops were abandoned and garlanded with a bailiff's heavy chain. Their windows were encrusted with a toxic grey powder from the heavy traffic. Even the popular Italian bridal shop looked from the street like it sold wedding dresses the colour of Sydney's harbour bridge. It was as if the entire block had been laid waste. Pedestrians greeted each other like survivors of a Pompeian volcano, pleased to be alive but nervous about lingering on the footpath. Further along the street, a septuagenarian called Giorgio had an engraving business. His permanent window display consisted of decades-old trophies which he polished every morning. They looked like jug pet animals in need of a home. Each was lovingly engraved with Giorgio's delicate cursive and curlicues. No customers ever seemed to go inside his shop. Yet Giorgio would open up every day at 8.45am and play Neapolitan operas on his portable CD player. You could sometimes hear his sweet sonic gift to the block floating above the screeching traffic. It made your own heart sing for a moment. At times our office felt like an episode from the 60s TV series F Troop, an irrelevant and utterly useless government outpost. Like F Troop, desertions were commonplace. Our senior writer Maureen, a.k.a. Dolores Del Rio, often went AWOL. In an era before mobile phones, this required sending someone out to comb the cafes on Norton Street. Julie would usually volunteer to bring her back. She'd find Maureen at the sports bar, sitting on a flat white and drinking in the impressive natural beauty that was Carlo, the barista. Unfortunately, Julie also succumbed to Carlo's sculptured torso and Fabio-style ponytail. When they both failed to return, we agreed the whole office should go AWOL. This avoided wasting staff time on another search party. The well-known brothel's frustration with mistaken calls for legal aid came to a head. Its madam had twigged DUI wasn't a new sexual service other brothels were offering. She called in the bikies and sent them roaring around to the local Telstra office armed with a nice note. This brought our own negotiations with Telstra, which had been moving at the rate of continental drift, to a hasty conclusion. Just in time. Within a week, the communications team was summoned back to the city. Leichhardt was closed for good. Our new business cards, with the old Leichhardt number, arrived three months later. Which goes to show
0: you can't escape your past. That was Jill O'Meara's Trixie Depraved Does Heart. In our next story, Canberra author Sarah St Vincent Welsh writes from the point of view of a very recognisable feature of shops which line the Leichhardt stretch of Parramatta Road. It is called Wedding Dress.
1: When the shop door opens, I hear the sea. The rumble of the waves rises to the sky. The sea must be close by. I dream of it. I wake to the sound of its swell, rising with the day. The beams of a lighthouse sweep across the floor at night. The brides-to-be, the mothers of the bride, the bridesmaids, glide in with smiles and acumen, with flourishes and secrets. They know their measurements. I swim in their expectation, hope for their attention, their touch, to lead me to my day. I have heard whispers of a harbour, a bridge of fireworks, of gliding ferries and an opera house with white sails. Is it a ship? Will I sail on it? Will I clasp my bride, enfold her as we waltz, dance in the spray? I glimpse the blue of the sky through the shop window. I am white like the summer clouds, or guns are edged. I wait for my day like a butterfly. My tchule is a wing. It flutters as she walks past, brushing my skirt. And she pauses before me. The groom waits outside, smoking. Ash falls on the pavement, sparks scatter. She touches my bodice, lifts me to the mirror and presses me to her heart. Smooths me down, fluffs me out. She tries me on, steps out of her shoes, unzips. I slip and rustle and slide and hold her tight. She adjusts herself into me. We look at ourselves in the mirror, unsure. The bridesmaid runs to the door. Shoo, shoo! The groom strides off, crosses the road. The bride-to-be wants to see us in the sun. Our wedding will be outdoors, out west, by a river. We stumble at the door, the waves crash around us. Parramatta Road surges, rolls. I am cream as pearl, as bright as molten gold. Whipped in the wind, I will fly. A truck blares its horn.
0: That was Joel Hallward, performing Sarah St Vincent Welsh's Wedding Dress. The stories featured in today's episode were all collected via a Little Fiction's call-out, We asked for stories set in the past, present or future of the inner western Sydney suburbs along Parramatta Road. In our final story, In Search of the Machine, Sydney author Jen Craig's search for a coffee machine brings back memories of life in Leichhardt in the 70s.
3: Afterwards, it occurred to me that I could have saved some confusion by walking the whole way there or at least parking somewhat further east so I could retrace some of the way I'd got there the first time, since it had so thrown me when I saw how it looked from the corner of Charles Street, just up from where I'd parked. Here, past the bared black-and-white wallpaper backing of the Eternity bridal and Formal Wear shop, now Felice, the window of the Tanara stainless steel cookware variety kitchenware shop had seemed too airily arranged, so totally wrong. Either everything had been changed since in the shop, everything dismantled, replaced, and so what I had taken in Google Maps Street View to be the prismatic sides of an Italian espresso machine or better, a pasta-making machine had been nothing but the effects of pixelation. Either that or else the tight-packed shop that I was looking for was instead another that was several shops along on Parramatta Road and I would know it when I saw it. After all... As I thought when I turned around to go back in the other direction along the road, going west was the way I had found the shop the first time, when I had set out in the middle of the 80s, walking all the way from Camperdown to take my doll form to the local office, the Leichhardt office, the whole way walking along Parramatta Road rather than the back streets. And so now to find the shop in the way that we used to do it before the fisheye views of online navigators by relying on instinct and going on foot. As I walked further west then to check whether the shop I had visited in the 80s was anywhere between here and the corner of Crystal Street, I tried to imagine how it had been all those years ago when proud of living on 19-cent bunches of silverbeet a week as well as some lumpy homemade bread whose leavening and cooking helped to heat the house. I had walked all the way from the lowest points in Camperdown to the highest in Leichhardt, alongside the raw and the dusty stink of the road. I had no memory of the walk itself, I was realising, only the roar and the stink, that and those tiny and horrible houses that had been bunched opposite the fork where Piermont Bridge Road began and about which I had soon begun to dream in a perverse sort of way. Those houses which no longer exist but then had pressed so close to the weather of the traffic that their floors would have burned with the shrill yellow-orange of reflected sunsets. As I walked now, further, I even tried to imagine how it had been when I had waited in the long, slow line at the counter at the doll office, behind what might have been the one figure of the man I could see ahead of me on the footpath. This man who was stilting along on purplish shins with his red-picked scabs slipping up from his sockless shoes. How everything had seemed this way in the 80s, I was remembering, so grim and jittery or else too smooth, like those public service posters that I would have examined in too much detail as I waited in line, posters which, even if they were designed to reassure and inform us, seemed to operate, rather, as signs that confirmed our existence was indeed being leached of everything entirely, that soon the whole world would be similarly shiny and terrifyingly still. And so from this, I could imagine that it must have been a huge relief to go into that little shop next, after the Dole office, that crammed little shop. How astonishingly wonderful it must have been to find, like that, a segment of something else, a place where beneficent complications might be stirring ahead, language, odours, the coolish feel of Saturday afternoon Italian classes the close-set packages of the Italian shops I had gone into, one after another as an 11-year-old child. Those tiny places in Florence, in Venice, where, after I had been pushed forwards with a quick sharp shove in the small of my back, my mother had got me to bargain for each of the grocery items we were going to buy to question the price, to query the total, or even to ask for this embarrassingly elusive fiocchi da Vena so that my father could make us porridge on our so very 1970s campervan tour of the car parks, squares and street sides of Europe. No one has oats here, I had kept saying to my mum. But did I really think that I could find all this? I kept wondering as I continued to walk along Parramatta Road. We think we desire a revivification of everything we've lost, and yet most of the time all we find are the puffed and abandoned shells of things or their necessary deflations. After all, it had only been two years earlier when, as a favour, I had taken the afternoon off from a conference in Melbourne so I might catch the tram out to Malvern to check on the house that my mum still owned. And how everything in Malvern seemed to have shrunk, I was thinking now even the tram had rattled and leaned like a toy as it moved along wattle tree road the streets the view having become so much smaller and flatter since the time i had last been there the once great road turned pale and segmented just a by-the-by clearing a concreted lane but then the instant i breached the stillness of the porch to ring the doorbell My long-dead grandmother had already begun to limp in her turn-footed way down the hall to the lead-lit door to let me in. And that moment, as it caught in the fringe of the green-beaded bushes behind me, the immense chill beauty of the house as well as the whole of the city that held it, the moment had swollen, vast and resinous again in the substance I immediately recognised, the wintering sweetness of burning coal, and it seemed then as if everything I could sense had always been there but had had to stay hidden. I had stood at that door for, what was it, five or ten minutes? How I had been seized with a complete, almost painful happiness. I was glad, so pathetically relieved that the tenants weren't home to see the expression on my face as I leant into the brick beneath the dust-grimed ceramic bowls of the electricity box so glad that I was able to stay long enough to pull the whole of what had become an immeasurable dimension of landscape and feeling into the close, dark pocket where I can find it still. So pleased, then, that along with the image of the three scuffed bins that I captured onto the screen of my phone, I had also grabbed what I could of everything else. At the corner of Crystal Street, I decided to turn back. I knew now that the shop I was looking for had to be that unpromising looking one called Tanara stainless steel cookware variety kitchenware, that it could be no other, that shop in which after the interview at the Leichhardt Doll office and at a loss for anything else to do with the immense bewilderment of my thoughts, I had looked around for something to buy. Of course, on that Doll office day, I hadn't spoken Italian for more than 10 years this language that had only become mine de facto when my mother had helped me to slip into the place of the boy from the fruit shop who didn't want to go to his Italian lessons anymore, as his own mother said, because he wanted to play football. When every week for several years I had sat with the children of Italian migrants reciting Gloria Padre and lessons in one of the wide front rooms of a brick house that the church had owned on an embankment that had been planted with agapanthers and eucalypts. Every week, steeping myself in what I pretended to be mine too. My culture, my sounds, until the evening I was taken with the group to the Sydney Town Hall for an awards night. By then, as I mounted those wide stone steps, I had almost become coolly complacent in the pride I had in this secret world that was separate from my family's. This world from which, nonetheless, After a moment of puzzlement, when my teacher explained that I wasn't getting the award I thought I was due because I wasn't Italian, I wasn't officially enrolled, I became as distant as a moth that waits on the walls. How necessary that transaction then in the little shop I was thinking now as I walked back to where it had to be near Charles Street. That so very Italianate transaction. Because how else to explain why it was that despite the incredible meanness of my poverty at the time, I had forked out more than 10 years after that awards night for a superlatively expensive hand-cranked pasta-making machine. A machine which, as the shopkeeper explained, I should only ever brush if I didn't want it to rust. And so I returned to the Tanara stainless steel cookware variety kitchenware shop, the shop which had to be the shop I had visited all those years ago on the doll office day, the very same, sadly, I was thinking. And I asked the man with a nervous three-note laugh at the counter about a hand-cranked pasta-making machine, this man who seemed to have bought the business when he arrived from China more than two decades earlier, who said he didn't keep pasta-making machines anymore since, as he put it, two years before. Nobody want to buy that three-note laugh. The whole shop filled, now, I could see, with everything else, with the lightest and thinnest of pots, lids, strainers, as well as the dismembered weights of axe heads and heavy-gauge chains in pails. And on the wall, packets of screws and knobs and hinges and fake wood kitchen cupboard handles, where the eddies of traffic reflections moved in waves across the tessellation of their plastic film and yet this compulsion still to find and to buy the necessary object, something, anything. This way I had walked right up to the back of the shop, where some navy-hooded strollers had been stood upright in their plastic shrouds. This need I had to find something that might never have been moved, or even found in all the years since the original owner had passed his small world on to another and to another. Something... Some particular machine that could well have been there when the Google Maps Street View camera had passed it by, when Eternity, Bridal and formal wear were still spawning the soft white spume of their dresses against the solid bank
0: of that shared pink wall. That was Eleni Schumacher, performing In Search of the Machine by Jen Craig. That's all we have time for this week. We hope you've enjoyed Humans of Parramatta Road. Do let us know what you think of our show. We'd love your feedback. And if you have a story to tell about Parramatta Road, past, present or future, post it on the 2RPH Facebook page or send it to 2RPH by email or post. You can find the contact details on the 2RPH website. This episode was produced by Spineless Wonders publisher, Bronwyn Meehan. And our sound engineer is Oliver Agbissett. Our theme song, A Tune, is written and performed by Annie Vidler. I'm Ella Watson-Russell. Do join me next time for more Little Fictions.